Pod Clubhouse and decorating the set from Hollywood to your home with Beth Kushnick are pleased to announce our Frontline Workers Hero Appreciation Contest. Running from now until May 19th, the rules for the contest are simple. We want you to nominate the Frontline Worker Hero in your life and tell us why. That's it. That's all you have to do. The Frontline Worker Chosen will win a design consultation with interior designer to the stars and set decorator, Beth Kushnick. As well as a gift certificate sponsored by Raymore Flanagan to help put your design ideas into action. To nominate your Frontline Worker Hero, just head to podclubhouse.com and fill out the official contest form. See the post at Pod Clubhouse for all of the official rules and contest information. No purchase or payment is necessary to enter. Void where prohibited by law. Pod Clubhouse. What you're feeling right now, you should use to finish your book. We have to publish The Miseducation of Henry Kane. If I do... It's going to take a talented editor to smooth off the rough edges. I have someone in mind. Could they also help me rewrite the past? Pretty sure they'd tell you to accept the past. Embrace the present and keep moving forward. Is that what we're doing, moving forward? What does this look like? Right, left, right, left, (laughs) moving forward, one step at a time, easy peasy. I can even move backwards. Watch this. (laughs) So many tricks. (laughs) You better believe it. Welcome to Heller Good, the younger podcast. I'm Sheila McGann. And I'm Emma Good. Tonight we're discussing Season 7, Episode 7 of Younger. This episode is called The Sun Also Rises, which, Sheila, you may know is also the book they reference of Hemingway in this show, which is The Sun, S-U-N, Also Rises, rather than S-O-N. But yes, works well in this it does work well in this. I, I laugh because um, when we talk about sons and sons, S-U-N-S and S-O-N-S, I like to joke around that like mothers who have sons talk about their son as the S-U-N of their life, like the center of their life. Uh, <laughs> so I thought that this was a really funny play on words. I always joke around like that with my mom and my brother, that when my mom uh, talks about her son, it's like, She's looking at the sun. I had that joke with my mum, but I feel like that would so true with her and my brother because definitely my brother was her favourite. I say that all the time. Like I, I, I joked around that I was a favourite until 1979. July 20th, 1979 was my cutoff and then he arrived the next day and that was it. I was done. <laughs> my brother was the oldest. I never got to look in. <laughs> <laughs> so Emma, the writer for tonight is Tanga Bangala's own Joe Murphy. And is directed by Jennifer Arnold. I'm so glad I didn't have to say that name again. It is, just does not... Well, it rolls off your tongue well, but I feel like it doesn't roll off my tongue well. And it's meant to be my native... I was going to say, like, I'm like the fake Aussie. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm the wannabe. I'm the wannabe Sheila <laughs> who lives there. <laughs> 
But no, I, I, I practiced it. Like when we first were going to say it, I'm like, Tangamangala. And I'm like, actually pretty grateful that it's it's as phonetic as it sounds so it it rolls off the tongue because um it's tangabangala it's just it's there there it is there it goes you read it you say it it's done you do well see we always said you're really aussie at heart yeah you guys adopted me so you know i I have to live up to the those expectations so i appreciate it but before we get too far into because we're already off on tangents already uh before we get too far into it you should definitely check out the spotify playlist that we've we've created it's uh the hell or good younger podcast by pod clubhouse and it's a little bit of mood music to help you along as you wait the days in between new episodes. Now we have to wait for these weekly. We had the big drop at the beginning of the season, and now we got to wait like every week, like everybody else. But um, yeah, I'm definitely going back in time into the vault, and I'm adding songs from seasons one through six, kind of playing with the order, because I... I I got a message from a friend of mine who listened to the playlist and she was like, you go from ass and titties into take my breath away. I was like, it just shows that I'm an OG for the show. That's all. It just shows. (laughs) So ass and titties is when um, Josh puts his number into her phone in the very first episode and it goes off for their date. And she's in the meeting with, and Diana's there. I remember that now. Yeah. So, and then Take My Breath Away is Charles and Liza's like slow dance song. song. Right. <laughs> so, um, so I might play around with the order of the song so that maybe, maybe it flows a little nicer than Ass and Titties into. I don't know. I, I tend to always have my music on shuffle. So I get. Oh, okay. So that makes me feel better. So I, I have to laugh. Um, so my mom decided to listen to our podcast. And the one that she listened to was the one about the poop. <laughs> I, I'm hoping that she just glossed right over it. And yeah. And that, that, we, that we're just, she hasn't asked me anything about it. So, <laughs> so we're just going to pretend like that never happened. All right. Nice. <laughs> all right. Yeah. I think we should dive into the episode. Enough about, enough about my tangents. It's already going to be running long. Apologies in advance. I'm hesitant to give my highlight because I have a feeling it's going to be the same as your highlight, but... I don't know. You'll have to tell me what your highlight is. I think it's pretty obvious the highlight of this episode is we finally see Diana. Sorry, I'm going to go really loud right now. Diana! (laughs) (laughs) It's just been so long since we have seen her and it was welcome, but oh too short. I agree. This was the highlight, seeing her face, seeing how vibrant she is, hearing her voice. That, that was my mimicking of Liza going into the upper stratosphere of, of hearing Diana's voice going, Diana! Yeah, it was definitely a highlight for me. But at the same time, I was like, as soon as it happened, I was like, oh, no, is that going to be it for the season? I feel conflicted. It was definitely a highlight. And I love what she said. I'm a little nervous, Emma, that that's all we get. Me too. I mean, particularly when she was saying she has 220 vacation days. And I'm like, does that mean she's not coming back on the show again because she's going to be having her year-long holiday or slash honeymoon with Enzo in Italy and enjoying life there? (laughs) Which is great for Diana, but not so great for us. (laughs) Yeah. So 220 days, I did the math. That's about a work year. So that would be yeah. minus like a two week vacation, minus off like your bank holidays and Christmas and whatever else. 
And yeah, you would be left with about 220 working days. So the fact that she has that much time makes me feel that she's not coming back anytime soon. And I don't think that she's going to be checking in again, which makes me kind of sad. But I'm hoping, I'm hoping that we see her face again and hear her voice again. I hope so too, but I am a little bit worried with that conversation that that was it. Um, I know they said she was meant to be like a recurring character now, but, you know, Sane was also meant to be a recurring character and we saw him briefly at the beginning and haven't seen him since. And again, just a quick FaceTime. So I'm a little concerned that's going to be the same case for Diana as well. I mean, at least we got to see her, but it was way too brief. It was like a minute. And that's about it. <laughs> I'm going to be really technical here. So the very first episode of the season, we hear her open with Arrivederci, bitches. So I think that's they're, what they're going to count as recurring. Oh, the fact that, that is she really appeared <laughs> in episode one and she had a speaking part again in episode seven. So I'm going to say that like the chatter that I've seen on the Facebook groups, they are not going to be happy if this is all the Diana that they're going to get. So our, our prediction is this, is that this is, this is it for Diana. But we're going to go up from here, guys. It's a little bit of a low point, even though this was a highlight. <laughs> it, was, it was a highlight, but it was also a bit of sadness that we didn't get to see more of her. But I did like that um, Liza, when she, when she was asking all the questions, and Diana's like, one question at a time, Liza. And she's like... I miss you scolding me like <laughs> that is clearly what has been missing from the season so far is diana scolding like she wouldn't be letting all this nonsense that's happening at the moment i think go on as long as it has no she would have known about incubator she would have already had an opinion about incubator she would have wrangled lauren in yeah there's just a lot there's a lot that diana brings that some of the criticism that i have and i've heard and i've read about from this season is it's stemming from the lack of Diana. She brings a lot. She she has a lot of quality, even though her time, even in each episode, is is quite limited. There is this lasting impression of her, and she does have a lot to bring in her quips, in her observations, and in really in, in keeping Liza in line and making sure that she stays on her straight and narrow path. But yes, yeah, so I will agree that Diana was definitely a highlight of the episode, but I was like, all right, listen, if I was going to say Diana, I need to come up with a highlight. So my highlight is that Quinn was missing. No, just kidding. Wait, no, no not. No, no. no that, is, that is a good good highlight, to be yeah. fair, because no one likes Quinn. <laughs> <laughs> no, really, the highlight for me was actually the nudes conversation between Josh and Liza, where he's teasing her about sending her nudes that, you know, back in the day when they were dating, and just the playful dynamic between them, and just Maggie's exasperation with this whole, like, all this Camilla nudity that's still coming in. It gave me hope that there's still something between Josh and Liza. I'm still shipping Team Josh pretty hard. Although with half the season behind us, because now we're in the back half, right? So half the season behind us, I'm not getting a good sense of where this is going to end up. Like I really, I really, really wanted to be Team Josh, but I don't have a good sense as of right now and credit to the writing, I guess, to not give it all away of where they're going to end up. I agree. That little interaction between them was a lot of fun. Uh, I quite liked it as well. But I maybe didn't get the hope from it that you did, that they're going to still have a chance to be together. I just, 
I just haven't been feeling that at all this season like I have with previous seasons. Like, he's still there, but I just feel like Josh seems so sidelined in this season. He's had a brief affair with someone, but other than that, there's not a lot of him happening in the show and and also his affair with KT was kind of separate to everyone else's storylines as well I know she briefly meets Lauren and Kelsey but other than that she didn't really interact with anyone else um, either so it just seems like when Josh is there he's just there kind of as a support character like Lauren probably used to be more in previous seasons rather than she is this season. She seems to have a bit more of a meteor role than even Josh does this season. Well, yeah, I feel like Lauren's coming in to kind of fill the Diana vacuum. But I think your observation about Josh is right, that he's much more of a supporting character and his story arc doesn't really have much to do with what everybody else is doing. Like you said, like the affair with KT and just how that played out was just sort of like just to keep Josh in the sprinkled mix of what's going on. So, yeah, it was just a very um, it's been very hard to, to pinpoint where Josh is going this season as well. And I, and I think that's that's some of the criticism that you and I had the last episode was that the season feels kind of rudderless. It's like, you know, Liza's kind of this fish out of water right now, not really knowing where she's headed. And the production is not giving us a lot of direction right now as to, to you know, where she's going to end up. So I guess yeah. we just have to stay along for the ride, cross our fingers and hope to God the Darren Star and company know what they're doing so we don't hurl things at the TV screen like I did for the end of like How I Met Your Mother. I feel like the show ended like 2014 or 2015 and I'm still hurt by it. <laughs> take my tv watching very seriously here people i'm just hoping that the back end of the season just kind of lands us where we're happy to say goodbye to these characters and we're not left like wondering almost like game of thrones style like if if the original people who had been involved were you know writing it (laughs) would it have ended any differently but i have hopes like i said like i'm optimistic that they're they're going to to end or write the ship in the sense that they're they're gonna we're gonna be saying goodbye to these characters in a way that we're happy with so that's the optimist in me i kind of want happy endings for everyone charles not to be with queen anymore maggie that would be a happy ending Maggie to, you know, well, she had some issues in this episode, so I really mm. hope that comes around for her by mm. the end. And uh, I don't, you know, I mean, I was definitely Team Josh for Liza. I'm not really seeing that happening. Still hold a little bit of hope, but I'm not sure. I kind of almost wonder if she's going to be like Team Liza and just leave Josh and Charles behind. But we'll see. As long as she has a happy ending, that's the main thing. If I had to guess right now, like we're at the the halfway point for the season, what you said about it ending up being like Team Liza, I think it's going to be Team Kelsey. That it's just going to be like her and this because we've talked about like the the friendship between these two. Like this is really the love story for me, their friendship, the love that they have for each other. That it's going to be the two of them supporting each other because. Kelsey's heartbreaks have, you know, framed her mind in such a way. Liza's heartbreak is definitely pointing her in a direction right now. So if I had to guess, I'd say at this point, if we had to be like mass Singer style and put our first impression guesses in a jar, I would say that the two of them kind of break out on their own and maybe not move to L.A., because like publishing is really kind of a New York thing. But I just feel like it's going to be the two of them leaving Josh Charles and empirical millennial behind so 
I actually would be okay with that as an ending. I actually quite like that a lot. Actually. I would be too. Like, I what a message for the show, nice. right? Like, what a message for the show about, like, female empowerment and some of the themes that we've talked about so far in the last six episodes are just... I think that sounds like a really good ending to the show. That would be a brilliant ending to the show. And I actually kind of hope it works out that way. Because I think in the long term, you know, romantic relationships can come and go, or at least that's how it's been in my life. I know yours has been a bit different. (laughs) But, you know, uh, some friendships last longer. Um, I've definitely told friends of mine's significant others, I'm, I'm here before you and, you know, depending on how you act, I will definitely be here after you. So treat me accordingly. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'm the friend you got to win over. <laughs> Forget the parents. You got to win over Sheila. <laughs> exactly. Cause it's like, I, I'll see you. I'll see you for what you are. Yeah. Well, we probably should actually start discussing the episode. Do you think? Do you we think? Have, like, talked about everything else but the episode. We've talked about the finale more than we've talked about this episode. So, yes, let's yeah. dive into it, shall we? So, well, it was a lot about Liza and Charles um, in this Shock episode. Shock and horror. <laughs> no, it seems like the whole season is Liza and Charles at the moment. So, last episode, we had Charles tell Liza to stay out of his personal life and yet this episode she's all in his personal life at his instigation so I'm a little confused does he want her in or out of his personal life because I'm getting mixed messages from him right now he's doing the hokey pokey right like it's like you put your left foot in you put your left foot out you know uh, I don't know. He's he's a little all over the map. And I'm going to chalk it up to he himself does not know where his happiness lies. And I think having this, this emotional upheaval in his life, what happened this episode, makes him want to turn to somebody who he trusts. And I don't think that it's Quinn yet. And and thankfully, she was not in this episode because when she's in the episode, like I feel like she sucks all the oxygen out of the episode. Just because it's this, it's this sniping, the nitpickiness between Quinn, between the Quinn that Liza sees and the Quinn that everybody else sees, and the Quinn that Liza sees is the one that makes me just like go white knuckled. I'm like, why? Why are you here? But I just don't think that Charles has that trust level yet with Quinn if like if she had been there I don't think that she would have been the one to go with him to the wake anyway yeah I agree I don't think she is the type of person to support you through something like that because it just it seems to be more about her and her feelings rather than being there for other people she just expects everyone to be there for her is how I feel it to be and you know maybe that's because she's mainly surrounded by employees and that's their jobs but in personal relationships that's not how you can be yeah I feel that she thinks feelings are icky and she just wants to avoid them at all costs so yeah and that's that's how she navigates through her life I can understand why Charles sort of chose Liza, but um, like we said, it's a bit mixed messages. You know, one episode he's saying, stay out of my personal life. This one, she's all up in it. But, you know, how do you think he he handled this situation with his long-returned love affair? Actually, we should mention that you're the one that initially said back in our recap that you hope to see more about his past and the book that he wrote. And this is what this whole episode is all about. You know, we meet 
the older woman he had the affair with that he started writing the book about but hasn't actually finished it yet. And we always know Liza's been a big fan of this book, which even Charles mentions, oh, my gosh, you remember so much. (laughs) (laughs) She goes through every bit of detail of the book. Um, So she was clearly a fan. But, you know, was this the person you imagined he had the affair with? When I saw her, I could definitely understand the attraction. She has a certain confidence about her, even though she comes off as very brash and very not what I would imagine someone who's just been widowed would act like. But I can see how 25 years ago, this would be somebody that a 20-year-old man would definitely be taken in by or or taken with maybe maybe taken in by is not the right term like that feels like you know he was duped this was definitely a consensual thing um she had the ruse of like raising the flag and like that would be the signal that it would be okay like i feel like there were so many elements that would be alluring and sexy about like this type of an an affair really for somebody who's younger in his sexual experiences that would be very much attracted to a situation like this there's not a lot of strings attached she's married you know there's a lot there's a lot that's probably appealing to someone who's 20 and then the actress that they got to play Judith I could see how this would be somebody who he would be attracted to because even now like even Liza says that she's very striking but I was surprised that Charles gave up so many details to Liza, given what he had just said the prior episode about staying out of his personal life, and here he is dropping all of these bombs for her to, you know, like noodle around with. But, uh, you know, maybe she's the only person he's really discussed this with before, other than writing the book. It did seem like he'd never discussed the affair, particularly with anyone else before. And I don't know that anyone else is aware. I know other people know who wrote the book, but I don't know other people knew this was based on a true story. I think Liza may have been the only one that knew that was a true story. I can definitely understand that. So maybe she was the only person he could speak to about this because he didn't really want anyone else to know that this was true. I wanted to ask you about Judith. So when Judith finally gets to talk to Charles, right? She lays kind of like a guilt trip. It kind of feels like a bit of blackmail on Charles about like owing them a revisit to Ian's work because of the history that they have. Do you think that this contributes to the panic mode that he has when he sits and meets with Topher and some details start coming out about the fact that Topher knows about rumors and things like that? Do you think that like this this contributes to Charles's panic? I think a little bit. I also think Charles is feeling a lot of guilt towards Ian because it seems like Ian was a bit of a friend or a family friend at least. Yeah, they said that like he ended up there after parties and stuff. Yeah, so that's that's yeah. I miss that part. I feel a bit confused with how this sort of happened actually because it seems like he knew Ian and his wife. He had the affair with her, but did he know that was Ian's wife when he had the affair or did he discover that afterwards? I'm a bit confused about all that. But when she was talking to him initially, she kind of implies it's about their past, which I've took for meaning the affair. But then later on, when Charles goes to her house and confronts her about Topher and his Topher, his son and things like that, she seems to imply that she can't remember them actually having an affair. 
So when she was talking to him earlier, it seems it was more about the history of friendship between their families rather than the affair. But obviously Charles is all about thinking, oh my God, this is the woman I had the affair with. And so they had very different memories of the past, which can happen. You know, for her, she had many people she had affairs with and they seem to just all meld into a blur of faces. But she also seemed to have a bit of a drinking problem. So maybe that contributed to that a little bit. (laughs) That's actually a really good distinction that you made because when she tells him later on, that, you know, she could barely remember if it was him, if it was Jerry or Terry or the pool boy. Like she's, like you said, there was this melding of so many people. And the fact that her husband also knew and required her to do a paternity test on the kids, which is just awful, but however, that's a really interesting distinction that you made. And the, the reason that I, I guess I'm kind of like stumped by it is for Charles, this was such like an earth shattering, memorable experience for him. And he memorialized it in a book and stands to potentially close this chapter of his life if he decides to finish it. But at the same time, like it is is current dis- present day Charles, where is he ending up with this knowledge that it didn't really mean anything to her? But I can kind of understand the differences in memories because for him, he was so young. This was a really defining moment in his life. He probably hadn't slept with that. Oh, well, I don't know. He was 20, some 20 year old guys that, you know, man sluts and others aren't. But <laughs> maybe Charles wasn't one of those. So, you know, any sexual experience was still quite memorable to him back then. And particularly with an older woman having to sneak around was probably his first time having an affair with someone. So I can understand that's a kind of defining moment in your life. Whereas for her, it was like she's in her 40s. She's lived a lot. She's clearly had multiple affairs. You can kind of see why it really didn't mean as much to her. Like, you know, and it seemed to only be a couple of months. It was a summer of many summers it sounds like she had similar ones you know so for her yeah it would or be several a, a summer maybe she hopes yeah there could have been multiples in one summer who knows maybe there was different flags for different people <laughs> it didn't seem unreasonable that they had completely different recollections of the past but i also think that doesn't mean it, it wasn't still important because it was important to you And it doesn't really matter whether it was important to the other person or not, I don't feel. It's more how it was to you. And actually hearing the other side may help him come to terms with it a bit more. And also he was the young, unattached one. She was the married one. I don't know that he's the one that should be feeling guilt about anything because it was her decision to have all of these affairs. I think Charles's guilt stems more from the fact that he really rejected all of that lifestyle. And now he he's a 48, 49 year old man based on, I guess, the timeline that's elapsed. And he's definitely framed his life in a very different way. So I feel that the guilt that he feels might speak from the fact that he was so reckless and that he was so outside of the bounds of where Charles present day would ever be or how he would ever act. So 
it's it's an interesting study on on growth, like personal growth and like where you were at a certain point in your life and then what's considered the norm for you now. Like people grow, people change and you know, sometimes that's a good thing, sometimes that's a bad thing. But if you come to a better sense of self-awareness, then that's a good thing. But you also have to appreciate the journey that got you there. And I think he's rejecting the journey a bit. Yeah, and I think this episode in his life definitely changed how he behaved in the future. Oh, I agree. I think this informed many decisions he made going forward. Yeah, because he wasn't proud of it. He obviously wrote the book to maybe understand his feelings around what happened. And then maybe he didn't end it because he just didn't quite know where he wanted it to go. But I think, you know, over the decades, it has led into how he has lived his life. And that's just what life is. It's a series of events that build on each other. And maybe some are more significant than others, but some you probably can't even remember, but probably change the way you behaved in the future. Oftentimes, it's how you get treated in a situation that really makes it memorable for you. You don't want to feel that way again. You don't want to make somebody feel that way. So it's interesting. But also the fact that he wrote the book under a pseudonym, like that that also signifies the guilt that he felt. I'm hoping that he gets closure from it because from what it sounds like, it sounds like it'd be a very good book. Liza's really excited for it. I'm I'm kind of excited for it. But I wanted to ask, like, do you think it's a little hypocritical for Eliza to push Charles to finish the book, given the formula <laughs> that, that the Chicago board has proven that they want? They want no new literary fiction, you know, untested, unknown authors. They want proven blockbusters. So is it hypocritical? Is she letting her heart get in the way? What's going on there? Honestly, I think... Uh, it's been pretty clear through the season that Liza doesn't care what Chicago thinks. For her, it's like, if it's a good book, it should be published. That's why she's tried to get Dylan, is it Dylan's book? Yeah, Dylan Park, yeah. At the, at the um, incubator. Yeah. You know, she really championed that to Charles. I think even in this episode, Kelsey is like, let's uh, speak to Macmillan or one of the other publishers, see if they'll be interested in Dylan's book. I think for Liza, it's like, it's a book that she wants to read the end of and it needs to be finished and she thinks others will enjoy it and it's worthwhile publishing. She doesn't care about Chicago and whether it's going to make money or not, but her job is not to run the business, so she doesn't need to be business-minded. That's uh, Charles's position. But uh, talking about, you know, Judith and Charles and the son, Topher, what did you think of Topher? Because... I thought he was just a bit of a man baby. <laughs> you know, I kind of likened him to the college admission scandal that's been going on here, like the last couple of years, like that broke, I think, in like 2018 or something like that, where these famous actors, these rich people's children who they don't think is, are going to amount to very much, they have to be bought their tuition, bought their admission rather into these prestigious colleges. That's who I'm lumping him in with, that you you are not going to amount to anything on your own, that you're just going to ride on daddy's coattails. Mommy didn't amount to anything. She was raising flagpoles to bring in Barry or Jerry or I don't know, whoever, whatever rhymes with Jerry for the summer, the pool boy. So he's just going to try to ride out his dad's coattails. So that's where I kind of likened him to that, like nobody really put a ton of faith in him. And they just gave him the assignment of like managing the literary estate and the hopes that somebody's going to feel nostalgic or guilty 
about Ian's legacy and just run the reprint and he'll be set for life. I definitely um, got the impression that he's never worked a day in his life. I'm not even entirely sure he ever did any of his schoolwork. Uh, he seemed to think it was so easy to just write a book and just pull together bits and pieces of his dad's notes and things and make a book out of it. And, and you can see Charles and Liza just look at each other and go, what world is this guy living in? Cause He's got no not, plot here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no idea about how the real world works and how real work works either. He just seems to be one of those people that has had money all their life, hasn't had to work for it. No one's made him work for anything. And now suddenly he maybe doesn't have money for it seems like only four years until he gets a trust fund or something. And he can't seem to live for four years without using his dad's work. I just don't understand. Obviously, we didn't grow up like that. Um, I don't nope. really understand that mindset because don't have a trust fund. Don't. No, I don't have none of that. I mean, my brother and I ran a business from a very young age. So you know, and even when I was fourteen and nine months, which was the legal age to start working in Australia, my mum had me down at the job centre to you know see what vacancies were available. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so. I've been working since I was a teenager. You know, for at first it was like babysitting money and then it was like to fund my car. And then it became like, oh, and now I'm paying a mortgage and tuition and <laughs> all the all the things that I need to fund my life. So, but it's come through hard earned work. I feel like Topher has, has never learned that. I'm not even sure he probably understands how much things cost. Yeah, I don't think he understands that, like, you'd have to actually work a continuous, like, eight hours, you know, with the lunch break. And, you know, that yeah. uh, that doesn't seem like something that he's capable of. Yeah, because, like, the mini tantrum he kind of has going, man, why can't this just be so easy? I just want to get money off dad's stuff. And, you know, I was just like, really? Like, if you're 26 and whining, like, I tell my seven-year-old, like, he starts in that voice. I'm like, no, I, I will not listen. I just will not listen. So speak to me normally, and then then we can talk. Do you think maybe Charles was relieved it wasn't his son? Could you imagine that being your son? Oh, I yes, I I do feel that there was a degree of relief. <laughs> she and Judith told her that the paternity test was uh, all Ian's kids, but I, I mean, I, I did feel the real panic that he felt. I appreciated what he was going through. Like that's never something easy, and you can't get a quick answer and. You know, in, in this day of like, you know, DNA and ancestry connections and things like that, I feel like a lot of secrets get uncovered. I think it was just a, one of these would, whoo, glad that we dodged that bullet there. Yeah, but you could see why he thought it was possible. But yeah, I think he's very glad it definitely wasn't his. I mean, like I joke around like, uh, like I was born in April and the year that I was born, nine months earlier, there was a blackout in New York City. Like there was a big blackout in New York City. So I you joke around and said, "Blackout dreams." <laughs> I'm one of those blackout babies because I came around. So, so for me, it was a very quick math. Like I was born in April. You know, nine months earlier is July. So you know, you could see like Charles's fear, like because he did the math real quick in his head too. He was just like, "Oh, wait a second. So yeah, I, I felt I felt for Charles in that moment because like that was very palpable fear and all the things that Topher was saying, 
I don't look like my dad's family. I'm really tall. Nobody else is tall. And Charles is obviously a very big, tall drink of water. So, yeah, I, I felt for Charles. I felt bad for him. But at the same time, I was kind of like having this like guilty pleasure kind of a moment. Be like, you deserve a little bit of karma for all of the bad that you've inflicted. Mostly because of Quinn. <laughs> I knew it would come back to Quinn somehow. It has to come back to Quinn. I just, I really don't like her. So at the end of the episode, we actually see Charles and Liza sort of end on a bit of a friendship note. Do you think this is the path forward for them now? Are they they going to be friends or are we going to see a rekindling if they head down this friend path? I want to say that this is them starting to rebuild their friendship. Based on our earlier conversation, I don't know if I'm holding out a ton of hope that there's going to be a Team Charles or a Team Josh, but the conversation that they have here, what we're talking about is actually the opening quote that we have. Liza trying to push him in the way that she does. Like I, I think that this is really where Liza's strengths lie, that she is this really solid friend. She gives good advice. She puts her own emotions aside, even if she's wearing them on her sleeve, like she's obviously in a lot of pain every time that she's with Charles and she's had her like mini meltdown with the hot dad Prince Vince but I I don't know if she's really rebounding yet from that you know she's she's had some fun this this season but I just don't know if she's rebuilding from that but I feel that this this conversation between the two of them you know telling Charles that you know you can't rewrite the past but you can accept it and keep moving forward easy peasy and she has this moment where she just kind of touches him on the arm and I just felt that it was just so genuine and it was just so it was so much of like the old Liza that has been so repressed this season she I mean she's really heartbroken and I felt that this episode finally that she might be coming back out of that there's been slow shedding of that skin where she's she's hurt she's upset and this was just I think a really important first step for their friendship to restart because it's been so tense and it's been so undercover hostile yeah like it's not outwardly hostile it's like you know I think it's the hostile as it's been is like stay out of my personal life that's pretty hostile but it's been very cold and she was, you know, definitely avoiding him earlier in the episode. Even Kelsey says, is this avoidance of Charles also crossing over into work? Because that's not his personal life. I mean, they still work together and, and they have to find a way to get along in the office. But I don't know, in this episode, it's gone way beyond just work situation. Yes, it started as a work thing, having, you know, having representatives of the publisher go to the wake, but it definitely became much more. And I just feel those boundaries between Liza and Charles always seem to blur so easily, even when it's him saying, stay out of my personal life. But actually, no, I want you in my personal life now. (laughs) Like, it's just... Well, it's convenient for me, so... Yeah, but I can also see why Liza's confused because she's a very empathetic person and she wants to be there for people and shes I felt like she still has a lot of love for Charles and is struggling to see him with Quinn all the time because she's in the office as well. It's nice this episode, but also Quinn wasn't around to interrupt things. So. And, and do the, the Quinn that only Liza sees. Exactly. Which is just digging further wounds into Liza because it's one thing to have to be broken up, right? It's one thing to have your heart broken. It's another thing to have to be next to that person day in and day out. 
And then it's a third problem if you have to now be with that said person with your heartbreak and see them moving on to somebody else and being looking quite happy. That's a lot. And Liza's maybe not given enough credit for having to navigate that minefield, that emotional minefield the way that she is. And the fact that she's down, she's maybe not as vibrant and bubbly as she's been in in past seasons. Well, I mean, she's she it took her a long time to rebound from Josh and to recover from that. And I think she's kind of in the same boat now, like her heart's broken, but it's different because now she's got to see the same person for eight to 10 hours a day. And now he's also with new person eight to 10 hours a day. So, so it's hard for her. At least with Josh, she was allowed to avoid him in a way. Although I vaguely remember at one point she was avoiding him and they were both avoiding each other and still running to each other. So um, that doesn't always work. But uh, in this case, she can't avoid him. I mean, I, I think if I was Liza and I had to go to work with my ex and see them with someone else all the time, I'd be in the toilets crying constantly. Yeah. No fun. Well, I think we should move on from Liza and Charles now. I feel like we've spoken about enough of them t- for this episode. <laughs> but uh, what about Kelsey had a little storyline of her own, which I think is going to go over a few episodes uh, with her reality TV show to go shopping for an apartment. Now, we mentioned before about everyone of the millennial age group finally growing up. We've seen them with children. Um, We did mention earlier in our episodes that maybe they'll start buying places, but we thought New York was way too expensive. So are you surprised Kelsey can afford a place in New York? Well, you know, there are affordable places, maybe not where Kelsey might want to live, but there, you know, there are places in New York that you could afford. I live in New York. I live 55 minutes on a train outside of New York. <laughs> but um, no, I think Kelsey has been smart over the years because she lives with Josh and Lauren. They share a room. And then also for all those years prior that we knew this crowd since younger started, she was living with Lauren's parents, right? So she was basically in... Laura's parents' house with uh, Denise hanging out. And I I think she was smart. And I think she socked away some money in order to be able to afford a place, a nice place. And also, you know, she was a publisher for a bit. She's also a senior editor. I can't imagine her salary's that bad. Like, it must be fairly high for her age. I would imagine so. I mean, I don't know exactly what they would make, but I would say she could afford something comfortable. Maybe not as exotic as what some of these places, like Rob's building that they were looking at with the the party that they had a couple of episodes ago and they were saying, like, how big the building was for for Williamsburg. But I have a question for you. (laughs) It was something that happened early on in the episode. Is sexiled on the couch a term that you're familiar with? Like, I've only ever lived in a dorm, in a single room at that, and in a house. So I wasn't, like, really familiar with this dynamic between roommates. Yeah, so you know at uni I was sharing a room. You were, like, the good luck charm, though. Yes. (laughs) From what I remember. So I I think in the U.S. it's a little bit different that most people – tend to share rooms um, in the university, whereas in Australia, at least the university we were at, there was only a few shared rooms and most people had a single room. Now, I seem to be the person that if you shared a room with me, you automatically got a boyfriend and left the room and lived with them. So... (laughs) 
If you wanted a boyfriend, you came and shared a room with me because Nicole, our mutual friend, mm-hmm. after I complained that I keep getting these roommates that just, and they were usually from the US. What are you trying to say? Are we hussies? Is that what we are? No, no. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I got a double room on my own and I was paying cheaper rent, so it worked out well. But I kind of wanted the whole roommate vibe just to see what it was like to have a proper roommate. And Nicole promised me she was going to be my first proper roommate. And then she met Wayne like two days before she moved into the room. (laughs) And she moved her stuff in and immediately moved herself to Wade's room and only used the room as a closet. (laughs) Actually, it worked out pretty well for me because like my guests ended up staying in your room. That's true. That's true. We had Carol stay in my room because your room got flooded. Because my that room was got flooded. flooded. That's right. <laughs> um, and obviously, Carol couldn't stay on a flooded floor, so she got yeah. Nicole's bed. So yeah, actually, Carol was probably my longest roommate, and that was a week. So I never got sexiled to the couch. Although when I was in the US, I shared a room there. And she also had a boyfriend. Seriously, want a boyfriend, come and share a room with me. <laughs> it just seems to be the case. Um, but her previous roommate the semester before had moved out into the sorority houses. So she okay. had the room to herself for the semester. Oh. And didn't expect to get a roommate halfway through the year (laughs) and I arrived and she was still on holidays and this room was looked like two people or more were already living in it Um, oh no and I literally got there and I went back to the office going I don't think that's my room I think there's already two people in that room and then they came and went no 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 this is your room so it just she had spread herself out across the whole room so luckily I had a friend there otherwise I may have like burst into tears and gone I've moved to the other side of the world and I not even wanted in my own room (laughs) (laughs) see that was the opposite for me I was like I'm on the I'm halfway across the world and all they keep saying is like why is your name Sheila You know, it's, it's a hard thing moving across the world with no friends, but uh, you yeah. know, you meet people eventually. You meet people, so, exactly. You, you, you move past Yeah. Them. So, but anyway, her and her boyfriend used to always stay in the room together while oh, I was gross. there. Now, I don't know if anything ever went long. I am a fairly deep sleeper, so, and I also know in a hostel room once I slept through a couple having sex because everyone was talking about it the next day <laughs> on the bus, and I had no idea, and I had slept through it all. So it is entirely possible it happened while I was in the room. I just don't want to think that it really did. So I never got Ignorance sexile. is bliss in this case, so... Ignorance is bliss, but I feel like if they'd asked me to, I would have just been like, no, because we did not get along. And I'd be like, I'm not giving up my bed for you guys to have sex. Go and find it. I don't know. Go to his room. Somewhere or his room. Sort it out with his roommate. It's not going to be me. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, I've never been sexiled to the couch, but I can kind of understand it. And I've also, you know, having had roommates for five years or I oh, know maybe it was four years. I can understand what in your own place. <laughs> Listen, I live with people I'm related to, and I'm like, please, I want my own space. <laughs> I mean, I used to, I used to live with eight people in. Oh, that's too many. London. That's a lot. At least I have my own room. A couple of the girls were sharing a room um, when I was in London, but 
yeah, it was nice. After that flat, I moved out into my own apartment and I've lived on my own. Other than brief stints of having lodgers come and stay occasionally, I've lived on my own and I love it. I had dad stay for five days during the lockdown. At one point, they had a snap lockdown in Melbourne and dad was here and yeah, five days was long enough. I don't know how people do months and months and months with their family. I'm surprised there's not more divorces. The, apparently, divorce attorneys are very busy right now. I'm not surprised. <laughs> so, so let me ask you: like, is this like HGTV DIY reality show TV around real estate? Is this a craze like thing in Australia? So, in Australia, definitely we had heard of the Property of Brothers. I don't ever remember hearing about them in the UK, but they're definitely no Wait, one. The here. Property Brothers, like the six foot five identical twin yep. brothers, one's a carpenter, yeah, one's a they're the ones um, they refer to in the episode. Yeah, they oh, have okay. their show showing over here. Uh, it wasn't so much in the UK, but the UK had a million of their own property shows. They don't really need to bring in the US Import. Ones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fun fact: Carol worked for the Property Brothers. Uh, so Carol is a friend. Of, like, is she's been my best friend since I was like fourteen. 15 my one years week old. roommate. <laughs> the one week roommate. Her first ever trip on a plane was to Australia to come spend the week in Emma's room because mine got flooded. She worked in one of her early project management construction jobs. She worked for the Property Brothers, so she's got tor- stories to tell about them. I feel like Carol just has the best job. She gets to do so many cool things with her job. <laughs> So with Kelsey deciding to go on the property show, is that something that you would do or you think it's a good idea for her to do? I mean, yeah, it sounds like she got some good perks out of it, but you have to put your life on the show. So I have like an allergy to reality TV in most forms. Unless someone is singing, I'm really allergic to... all things reality my husband likes to watch these hgtv these you know property location and you know redo the home on seven hundred and fifty thousand dollar budget and you know this one's like a gummy worm farmer and this one you know takes cans to the local community center they got a budget of four million dollars so i i yeah i don't i don't necessarily like it but you know for her it sounds like a good idea because Again, trying to afford a place in New York is expensive and the the things that they were offering, you know, the the furnishing and, and the different things, you know, and also finding her a place, that, you know, that they would probably only have like exclusive access to. Yeah, it would definitely be something for her. I don't know if she would have signed up for herself, but I think Lauren having done the groundwork would be like, "All right, fine. You know, what 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 harm could come from this?" And uh you know, I, I feel I feel like this is going to play itself out in a very funny way. Just because the guy rubbed me so wrong, the the host, what's his name, Brett? Yeah, the way he was speaking about the princess in her lonely castle and things <sighs> like that. I did like Kelsey's response, but I was just like, he just, I don't know. I didn't like him much at all. He seemed a bit like one of those sleazy sort of TV hosts. I hated the whole sexist nature of that comment and and that conversation, especially when he talks about, you know, living well is the best revenge post breakup. Like, it's been enough time that you don't have to say that Kelsey's necessarily post breakup. Just because she's not with somebody doesn't mean that she doesn't want to be where she's at, right? Some people take some time after having been in a relationship to reassess, like, where they're at so that they figure out, like, what it is that they want going forward. 
I didn't necessarily feel that this was a, a good place for the writing to go. And, and, you know, it's my own like feminist spin on things, I suppose. But I just feel like it was a long cry from where they were just at last episode where, you know, these two strong women, Liza and Kelsey, having their agency in this world, creating Incubator. And now we're back to princesses and castles being rescued by princes and slaying dragons and... I don't know. I didn't like that TV host at all. And I also was like, I don't understand how having a breakup, I mean, they weren't even living together, even relates to her choosing to then buy a place. I could understand maybe being discussed if it was a living relationship and you need to get out and you need a new place. And then maybe that's relevant to the show, but that's not her situation her situation is she's sharing a room with a friend she's feeling that she's growing older she's got the money it's time for her to get her own place and rather than rent her home place she wants to buy i don't see how her breakup in any way shape or form should be coming into this story or the fact that she's doing it on her own it is not that unusual these days for women to buy property by themselves i've done it I bought a place in London. I loved it, but I must admit, I did feel like I was one of the few single women looking at places. A lot of them were couples looking at two-bedroom apartments, but um, a few times I had people going, are you sure you don't want a one-bedroom if it's just you? And it's like, no, I have a lot of family coming from Australia that stay way too long. I need them not to be in my lounge room anymore. I'd rented a one-bedroom place for seven years. I knew I needed that extra bedroom. (laughs) You knew what you wanted. You knew what you needed, so. Yeah. But, uh, and I felt that should have been the story more rather than, oh, she's getting over a breakup. Like, that should not have come into this, this show not, at all. Yeah, this is not the time and the place that we have that kind of a conversation, I think. Yeah, but it'll be interesting to see. I'm assuming we'll see the episode air at some point. It'll be interesting to see how they edit it because, as Lauren said, you don't want the villain edit. And I hope that's not what they're going with with Kelsey because I don't think she was behaving like a villain, but I don't know how they slice these edits together. So who knows? Yeah. uh, And I mean, they spent a lot of time on it this episode. So I definitely think there's going to be some fireworks that come out of this for sure, because it's just that guy was too sleazy for this to be on the straight and narrow, I think. Yeah. I feel like there's definitely an angle they were going for because it felt like he had leading questions. Yeah, like, you know, you know, from this view, you can see, like, the dragons coming, you know, and she's like, I don't yeah. need rescuing. It'll be interesting to see where that goes. So we haven't spoken about Maggie yet. Oh, I mean, she had a lot happen to her in this episode. I mean, it was only on screen for a small portion of the episode, but I felt like it was a lot. So we've spoken about Camilla before and is Maggie going to get the blame for things and will Cass find out? And this is the episode where Cass finds out in quite a public way. <laughs> I mean, do you really want to be seeing your wife's boobs in a, in a class? <laughs> no, I can definitely understand why Cass is mad. I mean, you know, any time that you can like be in the right place at the wrong time, like to, <laughs> right. To find out what's going on. But like, I'm, actually like a little bit disappointed that Maggie didn't explain herself better like when given the opportunity like when the, when there was the silence that she could have filled the silence with the truth that she didn't know who Camilla was didn't know she was married Camilla didn't offer this like there was a whole 
whole barrage of words that could have come out instead of we were going to make a sculpture for you. Yeah. Like, I just didn't like that this, she went for the lie as opposed to the truth, even though the truth as it would be coming out of her mouth would sound like a lie. The fact that we know that the sculpture was a lie, it's just like, Maggie, you could have done so much better there. Yeah, I feel like she was digging herself a bit bigger of a hole by lying about it. And now she's going to have to come up with a sculpture of this woman's breasts (laughs) and stare at these pictures more. (laughs) I know. I, I just, I was a little bit disappointed she went down the lie path and didn't just tell what really happened. I don't think Cass would have liked what she heard in any case, and I'm not sure she would even believe it. But I feel like that was the better path to go down rather than try and lie, because I think either way, Cass is upset. There's no good ending to this, whether you went the lie path or the truth path. And I don't think I don't think Cass believed her about the breasts in any case, like the sculpture. It was a bit bad, but we also like had Cass telling her earlier in the episode because we we wondered before if Cass knew about Camilla's promiscuous nature and things like that, and we had Cass mention that they struggle a bit, her and Camilla, in the bedroom, and she's thought about outsourcing the task to another woman, but then she would want to kill that woman and and kill Camilla and and all this sort of stuff, and you know it was quite extreme in her wording and I just feel like Cass seems so as I said before like blinded by the pretty of Camilla that I don't <laughs> think she really sees the true nature of Camilla at all and I can see what Cass is getting out of this relationship but I'm not quite sure I'm seeing what Camilla's getting out of the relationship why she married Cass when she's clearly not going to be monogamous Faithful. with her yeah I'm, I'm just not sure. And she, I don't it doesn't seem to respect Cass at all with the way she does it so blatantly. She did that at that at the art show auction where, where she's on stage. Is. Yeah. I, I don't really understand Camilla's motivations in being with Cass. I can understand Cass is, like I said, blinded by the pretty, but Camilla, I'm not quite getting what she's getting out of this relationship and why she's behaving the way she is. And Maggie ultimately is wearing the price of a dysfunctional relationship that's not of her making. I used to joke around that my husband was only with me because of the health insurance. Because here we... Because <laughs> um, here we don't have, you know, we don't have universal health care. So I have very good health care. I work in healthcare, so um, yeah, I used to joke around that he was only with me for the good healthcare. Maybe that's it for Camilla because Maggie was very excited about getting her healthcare when she was signing the contract. Right? So, yeah, she yeah, said this was her, like first time she'd had dental. <laughs> yeah, getting her teeth done and stuff, so um, I, maybe you're right, maybe she's in it for the healthcare. I don't understand that because in Australia we don't have that issue. We have a Medicare system that if you can't afford private insurance, that will support you in any case. So there is always a... Well, it's not always free. It's not always free in Australia. The UK was... Everything was free. Like I just would go to the doctors and walk out and not have to pay a cent. Australia, it's not quite everything is free. There's sometimes like a small amount you have to pay. But if you're on any sort of welfare, have like a low income card or a pension card or something like that, then most doctors will see you for free and just, you know, the government will pay them a small sum 
for it. I feel like some American listeners' ears are bleeding right now. They're like, that sounds like socialism. They call it, they call it like bulk billing here because it's like they get the money from the government. But yeah. people that can afford it usually have to pay something. Like I had to buy, I had to buy into the health insurance when I lived there. Like in order, like in order for me to qualify for a visa, there were certain things I had to do, and I had to pay. I don't remember how much, but it was it wasn't cheap uh, to buy into the Medicare system. I had I had my yeah. own Medicare card. I was like, this is great because we don't get these until you're 65 in America. <laughs> nice. Yeah, we get one as soon as we're born. We like go on our parents' card. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but I don't know. I don't know what Camilla's getting out of this. But the big thing that happens in this episode, and it's it's hard to talk about because it's very sensitive and it's it's happening all the time like every, it feels like every couple of weeks or months like something is happening where somebody's getting quote unquote canceled right so maggie is labeled as being transphobic from this conversation in her class where she talks about this art show that she had back in the 90s called gypsies trainees and thieves which is a play on a, a really famous share song but in today's society and in today's terminology, there's an offensive term in there. Like we don't use the word tranny to describe somebody who's transgender. Like, what's your take on what Maggie's being subjected to here? Because cancel culture, it's it it like it's it's a big thing. And do we really understand all the nuances that go into this? So I think I have mentioned this in an earlier episode that trans issues are quite close to my heart because my parent is transgendered. I still call her dad because that is who she is to me. Uh, I don't want to call her Jen because it feels like I lose the parent-child relationship by that. And um, I just can't call her mum because my mum has passed away and I just don't feel right using that with my dad. So, So... some people are surprised to still call her dad, but um, I do try to use the right pronouns. It's not always easy trying to change a lifetime's habit. But I've also had like nine years of knowing that my dad is transgender now. So it's, it's become been easier. That long? It's been nine years. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so it's been It doesn't a while. feel like it's been that long. So I'm sometimes surprised it's been so long as well. But yeah, it's been nine years. And that's transitioning has not been welcomed by everyone so transgender issues are new to a lot of people when I spoke to people about my dad when I was sort of trying to get my head around it and I want to say I tried to understand it and then I got to a point where I was like I can never really understand this because I don't feel it I don't feel like that in myself and because of that I feel like I could never understand it but I love my dad and I accept my dad and I realize I just need to accept them. I don't need to understand it. I just need to accept it, that this is what it is. And I think that that notion of acceptance is probably the biggest gift that somebody can receive. And I'm not always up on the latest terminology and the right words to use. And my dad's quite forgiving, thankfully, when people accidentally misgender her she doesn't like it when people do it in that sort of sarcastic I know I'm meant to be using her but I'm going to say he instead and I'm doing that on purpose that 
pisses her off completely. But sometimes people, yeah, but sometimes people accidentally misgender her. They don't mean it. Um, My dad transitioned very late in life and isn't overly girly in the way that she dresses either. So you can sometimes understand why people forget because she does sometimes look more like a man than she does a woman. And you also said it's like a lifetime of having to unlearn one way of thinking. So it's, it's, I think it's a transition for everybody, right? And I think you, when you said acceptance, I think that's probably the biggest thing or the biggest gift that you can give to somebody who's, yeah, who's feeling, feeling a certain way about themselves. Um, I, I know a friend of mine when he came out as gay and that's how he identifies himself, I was just like, okay. He's like, that's it. You don't have anything to say. I was like, no. I was like, I, I think, I think I knew, but I didn't like, I wasn't conscious of it. And he's like, well, why didn't somebody tell me? I've been struggling all these years. I was like, well, it's not something that I really define you as. So you're just you to me, and I love you no matter what. And I like how you said it doesn't define them because. Initially, I must admit, it felt with my dad that when uh, she was initially transitioning, it seemed like all she ever talked about was, you know, transitioning and, and transgender issues and stuff. And I'm like, that's great and everything, but that's not all you are. Right. Like, there's more to your life than just your gender. Mm-hmm. And that is now true nowadays. I don't know if she remembers it so much, but it felt like at one point, all the conversations were about her being transgender and transitioning and stuff. And I got that it was a really important thing with her. And and early on at times I struggled, not so much in the fact that she was transitioning, but I struggled in that it felt like I was meeting a new person and that I was meant to say that I always knew. And that was because my dad doesn't see it so much, but she changed over time before and I think this is because she was repressing her true self for a while she used to be quite quick to anger and stuff like that and now she's not because she's she's who she wants to be and you know and she's much more open and talks about things a bit more than she used to in the past and I don't think she saw that because she saw that as I'm still the same person I always was but the behavior to me was different and sometimes that was a little bit to get used to and also when they start the hormones it's also going through a bit of a um, new puberty uh i was gonna say like go back to like when you were like 13 14 15 years old i'm sure you were up and down on the curve (laughs) (laughs) i was a moody bitch and crying lots and it felt like sometimes dad was also a bit like that so it was a bit hard to deal with a parent going through puberty is a bitch people okay it's Courses through you and makes you do dumb things. That's why women. Can I also just say that my dad now realizes that it's not so easy to lose weight as a woman? Oh, please. My husband thinks about losing weight and he loses five pounds. Please. And that's how dad used to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and now Dad's like, and said it at one of, uh, said it somewhat a couple of times now. I think going, it's just not so easy to lose weight anymore. And we're like, yeah, that's the female hormones. Yeah. <laughs> that's, progesterone, that's progesterone is easy. the other one that's. Uh, yeah, that's why it was but let me easy. ask you let me ask you about what this show so if maggie did this show in the 90s right so yeah when we talk about the 90s we're in the 20s now so depending on when she did it let's let's round out let's say 25 years ago 
that um, that she did this show. Was anybody talking about the transgender community at that time? I don't think they really were. And if they were, it was as a punchline to a joke. Or, you know, if you saw a transgender person on the street that maybe, and I hate using this word so much, maybe didn't pass that well, you know, people would sort of like, oh, what what are they thinking type things. Like, I, I it was not ever mentioned I felt in a positive way and I kind of think the fact that Maggie and she saw I think she even speaks in the class as well that her early work was based on people she knew and she loved and stuff like this and this seems to be some of her earlier work so I'm assuming she was friends with these you know transgender um it seemed to be women in the picture so I'd say it was trans women and I kind of feel like at least she acknowledged them and maybe shone a spotlight on their lives. Um, I don't think it was done in a derogatory fashion. But trans people even now still have a lot of problems. There's a high level of suicide uh, within the community and stuff like that. And that's mainly because people don't accept them. And some people just won't even acknowledge them. I feel like maybe now the word is problematic, but back then, maybe it's, you know, how they refer to themselves as well. Like, it's this evolution and thought that we have, right? So we learn that there's a better way to express a feeling or a designation. And, and I think that's really what's in play here. Yeah. But... I don't know. I'm kind of like, I have a bad taste in my mouth about the way Cass is using this now. So she's she's using her position of power in order to frame Maggie, right? And I don't know. I just don't think that there's going to be any kind of repercussions for Cass if it comes out, if it's even found that she's the one who originated this lie about Maggie. And I think it's entirely possible it's not found out. I think this is going to have massive repercussions for Maggie. At the beginning of the episode, we see that she's getting her own show. I can't imagine if this blows up and, you know, starts trending or anything that her show will still go on. You know, this is going to completely change her life in a bad way because people remember what was said, but they don't always remember who said it or who said it initially because, you know, people just pile on, pile on, pile on and and kind of gets lost in the volume. I don't think Cass is going to see repercussions from this. I think it's all going to be on Maggie. Like, again, like with the whole Camilla situation, this isn't necessarily of her own making. Yes, she did this back in the 90s, but the 90s was a very different world to what 2020 is. Oh, I agree completely. In many ways, so much better in that at least people are able to be who they want to be and a bit more accepted now because the 90s when my dad was growing up in the 50s and 60s that wasn't allowed you know and that's why my dad didn't transition yeah like uh, uh, you said the word allowed and that's what popped into my head when you said I was like that wasn't allowed like she would not be allowed to think of herself in that way growing up it would only be you're a he and there is nothing else to discuss So I like the evolution that we've had, but at the same time, she did do an exhibit at a time where people, like you said, were either a punchline and she was highlighting 
trans people and that look like trans women in the art exhibit in a positive light. So I'm hoping that that's the, the, the thread that gets woven for Maggie here. I hope so too. Because I don't think she's transphobic at all. No, I don't think you can say that from what we've seen. Um, Maggie doesn't anyway. seem to have a hate bone in her body. Yeah, exactly. She seems uh, quite accepting of everyone. Yeah, I mean, she's got a mouth that, you know, will, will you know, take you down. But it's not directed at any group of people. I think it's just, it's in the moment situational to what you're doing to her. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, Well, I think we've kind of covered pretty much all of the episode now. Yeah. Uh, But I feel like, you know, we usually have a meditation with Maggie at the end, but I didn't get much from her in terms of... uh, you know, her normal sage advice, but uh, could we maybe have Diana feature? You know what? I definitely, well, Diana was supposed to have her own corner as well. It was going to be like something with Maggie, like meditation with Maggie. And then like, you know, Diana's saying of the show, but yeah, I think the meditation here really was from Diana. She's, she's taking on this new philosophy in Italy and she's looking at the world through rose-colored glasses so so we have this clip here to play we'll play it right here oh I miss you scolding me I know I should be back now but I am having a surprisingly good time and as difficult as it is for me to admit this I'm not ready to return to work it's like the Italians say non tutte le ciambelle riescono col buco right not all donuts have a hole they don't It means things don't always turn out as planned. Take all the time that you want, Diana. Grazie mille. I do have 220 vacation days, so it's time I cash them in. Ciao, ciao. Bye. Ciao. Ciao. (laughs) I I just, I I love the way she puts things. So, you know, she's telling Charles and Liza that not all donuts have a hole and things don't turn out as they planned. So I, I love this this notion from somebody like Diana, who had her life like completely laid out and she's got to roll with the changes. So what did you think? I liked it. I must admit, I was confused by the quote initially. I'm very glad we explained <laughs> <Same>. it because <laughs> I was like, I, I don't get this whole donut quote. But, you know, once she explained it, I was I'm like, like, Boston cream donuts are delicious and they don't have holes. <laughs> There's a lot of donuts that don't have holes. That I love all donuts. Let's just say that. Um, sometimes I love donuts too much. Too much. I'll <laughs> agree with that. But I do think, you know, life doesn't always turn out the way you expect or planned. And, and I think that's definitely true with Diana. She even said to Enzo back in season six that, you know, she always expected to end up with someone like a Charles. And, you know, she's ended up with Enzo, which is clearly the perfect person for her. Although when she said that, she had to win him back because fair enough, he was quite offended by that. But um, she's ended up with the person that is clearly the match for her. It wasn't her plan in life initially, but it ended up in a better place than she ever could have expected. And I kind of wondered if this is the writers warning us with Liza because so many people are team Charles or team Josh that maybe that's not the plan for the series. That's really interesting because like we just talked about this earlier in the episode where we thought, you know, that this was going. So I think that's a really poignant connection to make because this may not go the way that 
those previous six seasons have led us to think. We'll see. We've still got, what, five more episodes to go, so we'll see. I know, a lot can change, but I I like the setup. I like that connection that you made, so we're going to have to see this through. We're going to we have to check our predictions at the end and see how well we did. <laughs> well, you got the prediction right about the book coming back, so... Oh, I feel know, like that was just being a good TV part. watcher. That's all. <laughs> like, paying attention. I'm like, hmm, they've mentioned this twice now. <laughs> But, you know, it'll be interesting to see now if the book comes back again, if this miseducation of uh, Henry Kane comes back. That, that'll be a good prediction. I've, like, the book gets finished or something under Charles Brooks's name. No, that's not going to happen. That is <laughs> no, not, he will kill never, ever. He'll never consent to that. All right. I think we have done this episode some justice. What do you think? Well, we didn't only just talk about the episode. We did talk about the series as a whole. So, you know, yeah, we have gone on for a long time. So sorry about that. I hope you still enjoy it. (laughs) Yeah, find us endearing. Find our tangents endearing. They're all relevant, I promise, you know. So we would like to thank you for listening. We do appreciate it. We appreciate all the comments and feedback that we've gotten. We've gotten a few people getting shout outs of the show because they brought us different and varied information so if you have anything that you want us to talk about definitely hit us up we're on social media you can reach us at pod clubhouse on all the things facebook instagram and twitter uh you can reach me on twitter i'm shields mcgangsta you can find that in the show notes to spell that correctly also if you could do us one big huge favor if you could head on over to where you get this podcast from to rate review and subscribe to this podcast so that every time we drop a new episode you get a notification and the ratings really help drive us up the charts and that helps other people find the show to get as much enjoyment out of it that you do so we appreciate you listening and we'll see you again next week thanks so much for listening thanks guys thank you for listening this has been an original pod clubhouse production pod clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com rate review and subscribe to our podcast feeds on apple podcasts Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.